Does the mother's mental attitude during pregnancy have an effect on the child's behaviour after it's born? Can a baby's persistent crying have something to do with its mental development in the uterus? Does hypnobirthing and calm birthing techniques play a part in this development? Psychologist Susan Dalby, conjoint lecturer at the University of Newcastle, has joined me today to discuss all of this with me. Hello, I'm Iris Nichols. Susan, thank you for joining me and, and for pleasure. giving us your time. Does it make a difference to the baby if the mother is anxious and stressed during her pregnancy? Absolutely. Let's start from the beginning. Mm. The baby and the mother, for the time the baby is conceived, are in fact one being, if you look at it. The baby is dependent upon the mother for absolutely everything. How the mother perceives her world is how the baby is taught how to perceive its world. The uh, hormones that are released during that time, the baby experiences directly. So if the mother is experiencing, uh, let's say, fear or anxiety, the baby will also be experiencing its world like that. If the mother is experiencing calmness and kindness and all of those sort of things, that's how the baby will also perceive his or her world. So we can see why it's really important that if there are high levels of anxiety or maybe even anger, those sorts of feelings that are persistent for a mother while she's pregnant, that it does have a really adverse effect upon the baby's personality and also its cognitive development. I mean, most mothers-to-be would sort of like to live in a quiet, calm situation, but when you've got <laughs> perhaps a couple of other kids mm. running around and mm. the usual stresses that go with with just raising children. Mm. Does this make a difference to the baby as well? Uh, we're not talking about that kind of stress. I mean, that's, um, that, that kind of, I guess, raised level of activity, that's, that's not detrimental. And in fact, the baby actually hears everything. Um, the baby can hear the children's voices. And I've, I've actually witnessed births when the there have been children there and the baby has turned towards the voice of the children. It's quite amazing. Mm. Yes, so It's, it, it's yes. actually recognised. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. They, they know. If the mother's sort of hoping that she's going to have a comparatively calm pregnancy, mm. how does this affect her and her partner? Yes, now we were talking about relationships mm. and... I, I really think that at this point I would really like to say that it's the relationship, it's the primary relationship and relationships, I guess, with families and friends that has the greatest impact, I believe, on the outcome of the, how the birth is actually experienced. I know we're talking about um, delivery uh, methods. You know, you've ha you, we have the, the midwifery the medical duality, I suppose, at present moment. Surely that is very, very important, you will ask midwives. But for me, it is what goes on in that relationship as to how that woman actually gives birth. I've heard about conscious parenting, but I'm not sure that I fully understand the concept of that. Mm. Can you sort of explain that a bit further? Yes, it's really the new science, I suppose. It, it, it takes a, a big step from Newtonian physics. Mm. Um, the new science, uh, just Bruce Lipton, Candice Pert, um, and various other people, Michael Odent, Michel Odent, the French obstetrician, and various other l people, talking about the fact that the, you need, as, as a parent, to be conscious of everything that you're actually doing and aiming at keeping the environment as 
kind as possible i'll put it that way i mean we have this idealistic thing that everybody should be calm but you know <laughs> <laughs> until somebody steps out of that's, line that's actually right so it means that we are coming from the position of kindness which is if you remember last time i was talking about oxytocin as being yeah. the, the actual paramount hormone in terms of pregnancy this is what we're talking about again we're talking about the re- the adequate release of oxytocin as opposed to adrenaline in the environment so when we're talking about conscious parenting we're talking about being really conscious Conscious of absolutely everything we're doing while a woman's pregnant and even before pregnancy. That's so important. Mm. So if a couple are, are planning to have a, a child mm-hmm. whenever, they should be conscious of this? Yes, indeed. Mm. Uh, what happens to the parents directly prior to them conceiving? When you think about it, it's, it's, the, it's your perception and your perception actually affects your internal environment. There's been uh, over the last... Oh, for, years now, behaviorists and cognitives, all relevant research and comments and and ideas that have come from that. But with the new science emerging, what they're actually saying is that it's not the thinking that causes the hormone or the physical environment or the mood. It's actually the mood that creates the thinking. It's the other way around. So the baby's born in that kind of mood. Mm. It's going to produce a certain type of thinking. Where does hypnobirthing and calm birthing Mm. techniques come into all of this? They're a tool and they're very handy. Um, I use those um, when I'm working with pregnant women because it just helps to eradicate the fear, which we go back to uh, um, releasing adrenaline Mm. as opposed to the oxytocin. And what both of them do, because they're both quite similar, um, one's Australian-based, which is the, the calm birth, that's Peter Jackson from Barrel, and the hypnobirthing is the, the American-based. Uh, what they both do is actually, I suppose, make the parents look at themselves and see what they're doing, which is what we're talking about in yeah. terms of conscious parenting. And it also makes the women believe and know that they are capable of birthing, which is, it's really only changed mm-hmm. in that, I, the idea around that has only changed over the last 40 or 50 years when you think about it. And that's since uh, birthing was taken into the hospital as opposed to being something that was outside, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a calm place. I'll sort of pick up on that um, okay. place of birthing later on. We hear a lot about fathers being present mm. at, at the birth these days. When did this start to be fashionable, for want of a better word? <laughs> well, in the 1960s, I think it really became uh, predominant. It, it seemed to accelerate around that time. And that if you, if you look at it in a historical perspective, because basically birth has a fascinating history, around about the 1950s, 60s, birth was absorbed into the hospital system so therefore it became a medicalized experience Mm. and because birth was disconnected from the community where it always happened with uh, aunts and uncles and the gp or the midwife who used to come in and deliver the baby that kind of process Mm. I, i was born at home too so you know that happened what happened is it's taken into the hospital and there were often midwives who were incredibly busy running around there was not that relationship women became scared there was not the community to surround the woman when she was birthing and also too the father lost his role in the whole thing because of that change over to the medicalization so consequently women were scared so they wanted their husbands to be there and of course husbands had not actually been present at birth they'd always done other things go and boil some water right (laughs) doing those useful things and Quite frankly, um, having some husbands at the birth is is detrimental to the woman. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? Because he's scared. 
He's scared. He has, this is what's happened. Men have no idea of what's supposed to happen in the birthing physiology. Why should they? Mm. A lot of other people don't know what happens in birthing physiology. But the most important thing is the relationships that people have while they're pregnant and also the relationship they have with the person who's birthing them. And any time there's adrenaline in the environment, it's, it's a bit like a perfume. You can smell it. Mm. And the mother knows and she starts getting scared or starts getting concerned for the father and gets away from her necessary job of birthing. And I was going to say that often the, the mother, if the father is there, the partner mm, is there, mm. that they become more concerned about his reaction. Rather That's than right. There, there was a really lovely um, story uh, about Jamie Oliver. I think it was in one of the popular women's magazines. And honestly, it should be used as a way, this is how you don't have a baby. Because he was too busy joking and laughing. I mean, he didn't, mm. I guess he didn't realize he was not helping his wife. And she ended up having a, uh, I think it was a forceps delivery, which she just mm. probably didn't need to have because she was responding to him when she ought to have been just taking care of herself and birthing that baby. Mm. Mm. You're listening to Wellbeing and I'm talking to Susan Dalby. Susan, we've been talking about having a, the partner at the birth, whether it's a good thing or not for various reasons. But do you think that the mother is better off just having a midwife in attendance so that there's just that one-to-one relationship between her and the, and the midwife? Um, I think that having the less people present, the better, quite frankly. The, the calmer the environment, less interference is, is the best way for a woman to birth, absolutely. Now, you had the experience of doing it all on your own. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Uh, by accident. Um, what happened is uh, my first birth was um, an instrumental delivery, which I hadn't planned, but it turned out that way. And by the time I came around to having my daughter two, nearly two, 18 months later, I was a bit more experienced and, and um, much more confident in myself. I went into labour and went into the hospital, went into the um, the delivery suite, which is where you go after you've had an instrumental birth, mm. or you did in those days. At least they're trying to encourage us you to go into the birth centres now. But because they were busy, I think that's all I put it down to, and they didn't think that I was in labour. I mean, I was told that I wasn't in labour, and it was my body, but, you know, of course, mm. you know, this is what they tell you. You're not, and you're going, well, I know I am, but, you know, it's yeah. okay. Um, I went and lay down on a, uh, it was 1980s, and so you know those lovely floral curtains and floral wallpaper that matched. Well, they had those sort of things. And I went and lay down on this bed in, in the side ward, and it was dark. It was about two or three in the morning, something like that. And I just lay there, and I can remember feeling some really strong tightening um, in my abdomen, and I just didn't pay much attention. And all of a sudden, Kate decided to put in an appearance and just as the midwives came through the door and said how long have you been like this and I was going like what you know (laughs) there's a baby I've done it all on my own and it was an amazingly empowering experience it was it was a it was a most wonderful empowering experience and that is what it should be for women and their partners but primarily for the woman it's a real sense of of purpose and a real sense of uh, strength and empowerment really is do you think you, you would have been happier? No, it's not, perhaps not quite the right word, but you'd have been more comfortable if your partner had been there with you at that time? No. 
you were happy to. I mean, <laughs> I was actually, I was actually quite happy mm. uh, because I think that I would have been more focused upon. Now looking back, I probably would have been more focused upon what he was doing rather mm. more than literally uh, spontaneously going in, which is where you need to go. It's it's almost like going into a, a very calm, meditative place. It, it's like you just allow things to happen, and and I it was a spontaneous thing, without mm. me, me even realizing I was doing it. Which is which is when we were talking about hypnobirthing and calm birthing. Mm. Th- that's the same. That is the same ideology behind it same philosophy behind it do you think that it made a a difference to you between you and your baby Mm. doing it on your own not that i'm recommending girls do it on their own (laughs) anyway but but if it happens but do you think that the relationship you had with your baby at that time was different from the one your first child absolutely because uh the, the the correct hormonal flow had happened which is we were talking about oxytocin last time, mm. which is which is so important. It, it's the calm and connect system, which is just as important as the fight and flight. Although it doesn't get a mention, it's the poor cousin. You know, we're all studying mm. trauma and PTSD, but we should actually be looking at the the oxytocin system, mm. which is present all the time in every, our everyday life. And what happens in birth? It is one. It is one of the peak hormones because it creates the um, experience of love. Which, and there is a purpose, there's a biochemical purpose to it. And what happens is when we have a normal, straightforward, ordinary delivery like this, what happens is the hormones are, are, are produced in the correct sequencing. And the time after birth, the first hour is particularly crucial because that's the time when the bonding between the mother and the baby happens. And as Michael O'Dent says, it's quite fascinating how for a long, long time all societies have actually separated the baby and the mother straight after birth, mm. when this necessary bonding is needed to take place. And the skin to skin, you know, the nipple, baby learning how to feed, eye contact, all of that is so important, particularly the first hour after birth. Do you think that this, for the children who don't get that first mm. immediate contact, mm. are they, oh my, obviously they're not consciously mm. aware, but it does mm. make a difference to the child? Look, no, I, the thing is, you have to. Be, I have to be careful how I answer this because people start going into blame and guilt and all that sort of thing. And look, my son didn't have contact with me probably for a few hours because I was anaesthetized, and so was he, mm. <laughs> which is the, which is the, which is a terrible thing. But it, it's retrievable. But it's a lot better if it can be done at that time. I, I know between the, mm. the the two types of birth that I had, I know the one that I would prefer to have. I'd much rather have a, a natural, normal birth because the natural endorphins that are released, they can last for days. And, and just that feeling of achievement and the bonding with the baby, and it makes a baby calmer. The baby is actually calmer when birthed in this way. Do you think the partner being there makes a difference to his relationship with the mother? Mm. Now that's a that's a thorny question. Um, it can do, and you know, and partners are all different. It's like you know, there is many different styles of partnership. But you see, a, a man I, I've experienced just recently, actually, quite a few men who sought help because they found it too traumatic. Mm-hmm. But they've been expected. Men have been expected to be at the birth because it's become this kind of trendy thing. Oh, my partner has to be there, and it's done. Mm-hmm. And I question whether, in fact, it does actually help the relationship. And sometimes it can actually be quite detrimental. And it doesn't mean that people don't get divorced. People still do get divorced, even after having fantastic birthing experiences. They may mm. they may part friends, which I suppose helps, but 
you know, it doesn't, it, there's nothing to say that just because you're present at your baby's birth is actually going to help your relationship. Do you think, you said about a few minutes earlier about having a lot of people mm. around you when you're giving birth. Mm. How do you feel about the girl's parents and or her other children there and what effect does that have on the relationship, say, with the mother and the other children? Mm. Well, it really is the woman's choice, I think, who she wants. It, it's really, that's the most important thing. It's not, what, what is the most important thing is you don't have somebody in there who you don't like or you don't get on with because mm. you're not going to be relaxed. You're not going to be calm. I mean, mm. relax is one thing, but you're not going to be calm and taking it and taking the birth in a measured way um, and, and, and focusing on yourself. If you have somebody in there who you've, who you've got some kind of emotional or relationship issue with, mm. it certainly isn't going to be helpful. It's not helpful in any situation in life, no. let alone birth. Mm. Mm. What about the effect on, on children? Mm. And I know that some children are are there at the time their mm. sibling is born. Mm. Does this have um, a long-term effect, perhaps even for the girls? Oh, crikey, mum went through all of that. Mm. If I get married and have children, mm. have I got to do that? Well, I think they're more likely to be affected by the television programs than they actually are witnessing a woman having birth. Have you seen some of the awful things on TV? <laughs> There's one last week on Neighbours. I mean, I just thought <laughs> it ended up nice but mm. uh, there was some stuff in there that i thought was a really negative message the birth i've births i've seen when when children have been present not necessarily all the way through but have been brought in to watch the actual birth mm. um it's it's been so positive because the, the the girl is going to see that this is a normal natural process and this is what happens it happens in other societies that are less mm. industrialized than ours so a positive experience so going back to the thing where you have a good relationship with your midwife mm. and the couple go along for antenatal classes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they sort of think they probably know it all and, yes, mm. we'll manage with all of this. Mm. Do you ever hear of, of couples saying, oh, I really had no idea it was going to be like that? Yes, because I don't really feel like the system at the present moment actually prepares them in the correct way. It scares them. Um, it tells them all about the things that can go wrong. It doesn't tell them about the things that are potentially much more so to go right. Mm. Um, sure, you have to know. There has to be what I call positive pessimism. You have to know what can happen. But if you're actually prepared in a positive way for those things, the actual birthing experience can be positive. And that is the most important thing. It's not the birth as such. Um, I was reading a wonderful piece of research just recently which said the birth is just the icing on the cake. Now, the actual... I understand what was meant by that. The... The birth itself needs to be calm. It needs to be, the mother needs to be in control. Mm. She needs to have the physiological knowledge of what she's actually doing with her body. She is controlling it, not the midwives, not the doctor. The mother is the one. Who, it's her body that's actually mm. birthing, and she's just witnessing that. And when she starts realizing that's what she's doing, that her baby's birthing itself, then there's that whole idea of I'm assisting this baby into the world. And um, and I don't think that that attitude is really being um, expressed. And I think that really by a lot of the antenatal care at the present moment is just focusing basically on um, it's scaring. It's scaring people. Mm. And, um, and I think that there needs to be far more emphasis placed upon the, the actual process. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols and I'm talking today with psychologist Susan Dalby. 
Susan, very recently the regulations have been mm. brought in that elective caesareans are not going to be carried out in public hospitals. How do you feel about this? Oh, I think it's I think it's extremely uh, it's a positive move in one hand because there is such a lot of evidence over the last oh, 20, 30 years to say that unnecessary caesareans just have such an impact upon the mother and the child because of the the necessary hormones that go through in the natural in the natural mm. sequence, and it's also easier to have a baby normal, should say mm. normal way or natural way, uh, than actually having a huge abdominal operation. Um, I think on one hand it's really good that this has come about. However, it, it's like everything, isn't it? They bring in a policy, but they don't back it up with maybe helping the, there to be an attitude change, because. Mm. If a woman goes into a hospital and um, we're still looking at a system that's run on a risk basis, which is and and also birth is run to a menu, first you know mm. first you know twelve hours and then if it doesn't the baby's not born after twelve hours after the first stage of labour then we start talking intervention. As soon as we start talking intervention, then we're starting to talk cesarean. So what we have to do is actually have a look at our mentality, our ideas about how the birthing process happens because then you will get less caesareans and you will get less intervention if, if we're looking at it. It's a different philosophy. So on one hand, yes, it's good, but we need, to, we need to change the approach so that this actually comes. Have you come across girls who've had a caesarean for whatever reason mm. who've told you that they have sort of feel they've missed out by having a caesarean rather than a natural birth? Mm. Now, now that, that's an interesting one. If you've got somebody who's chosen to have, if they have an elective caesarean, I was, I've discussed this several times with so different people, and if they have chosen to have an elective caesarean, there seems to be, with lots of them, less, suppose, less of an impact. It depends very much upon the woman's... I think the woman and where she's coming from. Uh, then on the other side, there are women, as you say, who do who, who do wish that they'd maybe pursued a, a more natural form of delivery. So, you know, it, it's half and half. Half and half. I, I think if you've actually got a woman who's had an emergency there and then you have a completely different, a completely oh, different yes. thing. Yeah, I was sort of thinking more along the, the elective mm. um, caesarean mm. as it went. Do you think that if they do have a, a caesarean... There's a different relationship between mum and babe. Well, that's that's true. Um, I'm just I'm just thinking of a, a midwife who I saw, who came to talk, uh, Vicky Chan, who came to give a talk in Newcastle last year. A wonderful midwife from Queensland, and um, she, I'll use an example from her because she's, there was a woman who was having her third baby. Who she'd had two babies that were cesareans, and she was very practical and down to earth and no nonsense. And I'm going to have this baby on that date at this time, and this mm. is what's going to happen. And then I'm going to go back to work and blah 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 all this stuff. Now she had a good relationship with her children. It's not she, the two children she'd already got. There mm. wasn't an issue there. Anyway, um, she was having a third third cesarean, so she decided to go ahead with that, even though Vicky said, "Look, let's see if we can do it naturally this time." She said, "No, no, I want to have a cesarean." So Vicky went along with her and was her midwife. But what she changed was she actually had this woman put the baby to her breast as soon as the baby was born. The other two had been taken away. Mm. And that baby stayed there for oh, a, a really good time after the, after the baby was born. And the story goes is that Vicky said she went back about two or three months later to have a look at her, to visit this woman. Mm. And the woman was still breastfeeding and she had got so attached to this baby. Their relationship was so... 
um, it was such a beautiful, touching relationship. She couldn't go back to work. And her words were to Vicky, um, you're going to make me broke. <laughs> but she, no- she herself mm. had noticed the difference in the experience she'd had with this baby. And it had made her reflect upon her relationship with her other two children. So that's yeah. a really good example, I think. Mm. In my introduction, I asked the question, does the persistent crying of a babe have something to do with its mental development in the uterus? Mm. Does this make a difference? Well, attachment theory, which is a very interesting way of looking at, at, at raising children, and I think there's a lot to be said in it, um, talks about how when a baby cries after it's born, that that's quite normal and quite natural. It's expressing something. And rather mm. than us getting worked up about it, which actually then exacerbates mm. the whole thing, just understand this baby is trying to express something. Who knows mm. what that is? We don't know. Um, for me, the most, the major cause of babies crying is, is the mother being stressed about it and trying to stop the baby from crying because it upsets her. I mean, we've all, we've all done it. Okay. It's like, we don't like it. So we have to try and stop it and because we are stressed. It's more to do with us than it actually is the baby. That reflects back on yes. your, your mental attitude reflects yeah, back absolutely. on Absolutely. Yes, that's mm. right. So this is why if you've, if you've had a traumatic birth and you're experiencing something, you're experiencing distress, depression, anxiety, anger, whatever, mm. guilt, it, the baby will pick up on that straight away. The other question I'd like to ask you is, does the partner being at the birth affect their sexual relationships afterwards? Can do. I've had men come to see me because they say that they just can't look at their wife without... Looking mm. at the experience of birth, and that's that is why sometimes you, you have to really weigh up whether it's in, you know whether how you mm. are going to be how you are going to be in that birth situation. Do you think that the men who are reluctant to go there but have mm. sort of gone along with it, if you mm. like, mm. do you think it makes any real difference to their attitude towards their wives? I think if, it's like anything. If, if anybody doesn't want to be there, really doesn't want to be there, then Mm. you have to really look and say, well, let's respect that and maybe have somebody else who's happier and more capable of actually being there be there. I think that's very real. With women waiting until later in life to have their first child, does the fact that their biological clock is running down encourage them to have a second and third child fairly quickly and what difference does that make between the children does the mm. the one before resent the second one oh i i don't i i, <laughs> I don't think that that's uh, something that's uh, significant for later stage i think that could happen at any particular stage i think mm. um like children can can be like that to a young anyway. mother mm. yes really indeed mm. Mm. Susan, thank you for coming in and talking to me today. You've answered a a lot of questions for me and I hope for the listeners as well. My guest today on Wellbeing has been Susan Dalby. Susan is a conjoint lecturer at the University of Newcastle. She's a psychologist. And thank you for listening. And from all of us here, we wish you well.